Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who considers himself a very competent amateur dentist. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and uh, yeah, I mean, listen, I can pull teeth, I can drill teeth, I can, can keep uh, them in a weird bag for some reason. I, I can keep teeth in a bag. Uh, I can steal gold teeth from dead bodies. I can do all the things you normally associate with dentists. All the things that are either associated with dentists or war criminals. Same diff. Before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to some bonus content. Sweet bonus content, yeah. We do a non-criterion film over there every month. Our supporters get to vote on what we're going to do. Sometimes they suggest lists for themselves to vote on, which seems very democratic. Yeah, that's fine. The ultimate of democracies, yes. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Normally, it's just some sort of weird representative democracy, uh, but the American-style representative democracy, where, where they give them money, and then I make decisions not based on what they want. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> We've also jerry-rigged it somehow. I'm not sure how that works, but we have. Oh, almost certainly. Well, actually, I we have, do have I something have... akin to that, because you can vote for some reason on your own goddamn poll. <laughs> Patreon's such a weird website. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, no part of it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You can just you can put, put half an ounce of thumb on the scale, if you want. Uh, but, yeah. So... We have a lot of fun over there. Sometimes it's a movie that should be in the Criterion Collection, like our most recent bonus episode was an Ozu film, Tokyo Twilight, uh, where we had two of our Patreon supporters on as guests, actually, and it was really, really great fun. Yeah, that was Um, a great one. Yeah, I love talking to people about movies they love, which is one thing we get to do on that bonus uh, more often than over here on the Criterion. Because nobody loves the films we watch on Criterion Collection. (laughs) Uh, I mean, not the way we consume them, right? <laughs> right. No, not we're going... the, it's not the ideal way to consume yeah. Criterion Collection material. <laughs> right. Because we're going through it by spine number, it's just very rare that uh, that we hit the highlights of uh, where it overlaps with our audience and people who want to be on the episode and can be on the episode. Because, you know, there's a lot of people who listen to us now who would have loved to have been on episodes 1 through 200, certainly. Right. right. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but when they weren't nobody listening, was to, listening us to us. Yeah. So, because we recorded, we recorded through episode forty before <laughs> there was any true, publicly yes. released. This is also but, true. Anyway, uh, but yeah, we have a lot of fun over there, and yeah, it's just cool. It's just a dollar a month gets you access to the vote, gets you access to the new bonus episodes and the entire back catalog. There's over sixty over there right now. I think sixty four, in fact. A little above that at five dollars for folks who can afford it and want to help keep us going and make sure we finish off this Sisyphean task before we die. Um, Im- which is impossible. Uh, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's not going to happen. But thanks, thanks for the help anyway. Uh, we like to thank those people on air and thank you so much to our five dollars supporters: Stephen Goldmeyer, Chris Otto, Andrew Jarrett, and Eric Coronado. Yes, thank you. A bit above that, we do something pretty dang special every month. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the moves we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard and write a little personalized thank you note, say all that, and send that off once a month as well. And we like to thank those folks on air. Thank you so much to our $10 and above supporters, Adam Speakerman, Jason Westhaver, Tracy McGrath, 
Nina Bojnak, and Patrick Yako. Thank you, all of you. If you want to see those postcards without committing to that $10 marquee, head over to redbubble.com. Search for Lost in Criterion there, and you will see the back catalog of postcards. You can buy them as postcards, as greeting cards, as pins, some of them, as stickers, many of them. One is a T-shirt. and uh, Hot air yeah, balloons. You see, um <laughs> If you want to scare some Montanans, <laughs> yeah, you, you want to make them think like maybe some other country is spying on them. Yeah. I don't know. The worst way on possible a, on a on a on a balloon. We'll get it. If you see it, if you see something that Redbubble offers and you want one of our images on it, you let me know and and we'll see what and we Pat can do. Pat will to take make three to six months making it. <laughs> well, thank you so much to everyone who has purchased from the Redbubble. Everybody who supports us on Patreon, and thank you to you for listening. Yes, thank you all, listeners. Ah, no, classic radio. You got to thank listener individually, not listeners plural, because it's uh, it's more of a, a connection. I I mean, okay, I don't, know. I don't, I, I don't, I don't think that's true, that but like, no. maybe it's true. Like, thank you, listener. Yeah, look behind you. Uh, I'm right behind you. <laughs> um, and, this, and if you're listening this, to this on double, like one and a half speed, because you're a person who does that, and you're wondering why does it sound like way faster than normal, that's because we used a <laughs> lot of time talking before we started the day, and I need did. to go to bed. It's true. It's true. Uh, Pat, this yes. week we are watching The Thin Red Line. Oh, shit, I watched the wrong Malik. movie. Oh, I'm very sorry to hear that. Well, hopefully uh, you watched then uh, Morris's The Thin Blue Line documentary, which just over prepares you for a future episode. <laughs> right, right, yes, I'll be double uh, we prepared. Will, we will eventually watch that as well, though I think it's a few years yeah. away. I'm not really sure. I will presumably have um, forgotten it by then, but yes. Yeah, but anyway, no, I hope you did watch The Thin no, Red Line. Like and you'd know because it's very long. Yes, uh, oh, believe and, me, you know if you've uh, watched The Thin Red Line. And and you you would be able to identify it because every time you see a male actor whose face you recognize, they will either die or disappear very shortly. Right. That's, um, or you'll do, yeah, if, so that will also happen, you but you'll also say, do you'll pull a me, which is like, do I know who that yeah. person is? Probably. Yes. If you want to see every famous male actor in the, in from the nineties, uh, the U S from the nineties die. This is the movie for you. I mean, you've um, presumably you've already seen them die in band of brothers. May you've yes, seen yes, them die yes, in yes. some other movies. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it is an epic war film. It was Malick's first film in over 20 years since uh, Days of Heaven, which we watched a, a couple of years ago, I think, at this it point. Can't, um, was it can't. Has it been that long? It feels like pretty recently. I went and looked up Terrence Malick after we, when, when I was watching this because I was like, huh, I wonder, like, how many of his movies have I seen? And the answer is, Basically, only Days of Heaven. <laughs> Days of Heaven was spine number 409, which makes it uh, 120 or 30 spines ago. Okay. Uh, I have no sense of time anymore with regards years. to this project, yeah. man. No, with your regards to this project, particularly because we get a good movie and it really sticks in our mind and it feels like we just watched it yesterday, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Days of Heaven is a very visually yeah. stunning movie. And it gave me really high hopes for this one. Like it, it it's worth yeah. noting that the movie is 20 years apart in actual production time. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh He took Malik a bit of a break, did, I guess. He did. He did take a bit of a break. He had a few false starts during that time. But basically he started adapting The Thin Red Line in like 89. Days of Heaven had come out in 78. I Okay, well, <laughs> so, just, just I just a minute. I need to read a sentence to you 
because I just like okay. happened to stumble. I'm just like wandering my way through yeah. Terrence Malick's Wikipedia here. Okay. Okay. During this time, he wrote a number of screenplays, including adaptations of Walker Percy's novel, The Movie Goer, and Larry McMurdy's The Desert Rose, a script about a script about Jerry Lee Lewis, and a state ad, stage adaptation. A stage adaptation of the Japanese film Sancho the Bailiff, which was to be directed by the yes. Polish filmmaker uh, Andrzej Waja. And, and yeah. the, like, what, what, man, what was this? His hiatus was mostly him just doing things that didn't work out, I guess. Just a lot of no, them. No. He also, at one point uh, in, in the late 70s, uh, had decided he was going to make a movie about uh, John Merritt, the Elephant Man. And then uh, David Lynch's movie got announced. So he's like, okay, I guess I'm not doing that one. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, he had a few false starts. The uh, The stage adaptation of Sancho the Bailiff did exist. I don't know if Waja ended up directing it, but but I think it did get staged. It's just a funny, like, sort um, of like. Yeah. Terrence yeah. Malick writes an adaptation of a Japanese film to be directed by a Polish director. It's just feels fake like i'm sure it's true but it doesn't feel true <laughs> yeah yeah no it is it is true uh yeah yeah malik loved mizuguchi and decided to adapt to the bailiff um yeah but and like then, also uh, that gets you into that weird it. question of like why weird. like what's the purpose of doing that like that movie just exists i because he loved it is the purpose of doing that i guess so i mean he's just gonna like it he's gonna I I understand that people do do that, but it always still weirds yeah. me out. Like when the movie exists, that you're like, it's like, well, you could just watch that movie. It, well, if you watch the bonus feature with Hans Zimmer, I uh, did. An interesting thing, sort of. An interesting thing drawn from that about Malik's life through the eighties, uh, is that he. To hear Zimmer describe it, Malik was essentially living in Zimmer's music musician. Yeah, volume. just seemed to like cra- essentially crash so, on his couch a lot. Yeah, basically. So, uh, so you know, because of that, it was a lot of philosophical discussions about art, music oriented. Uh, but Malik, obviously, already a filmmaker. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, so a lot of these ideas are are false starts in as much as I have false starts, right? They're, they're a thing he thought about doing and maybe worked on it for a couple of days. And just right. See, that's it. kind of what I've been yeah. wondering, right? Is that like, yeah, yeah like he, it, cause like all those things, like I wonder, like there's, if you were to ask me to like tell you all the things I've worked on and I was being very, very loose with the meaning of that phrase, it would be a very long <laughs> right. list. And all those things would right. be technically true. Right, right. Well, some of them are more technically true than others. Um, it did take a lot of work to get this one done. His first draft of the script was like 500 pages, I think. Um, even even what uh, Zimmer talks about, the first draft he was given for actual work was 198 pages. And he was just like, yeah, I'm not. I'm not reading. He read it once. He said, and then and then the rest of it was on vibes alone. Was he, he never returned to the script? Uh, so they'd have yeah, uh, they'd talk about colors and and relationship between between visual and music and yeah, it's it's a really fascinating interview with Zimmer. It is. Uh, it if, is listening to Zimmer talk can, is a little. He's a yeah, he's an odd fellow in and of himself. 
he's an odd man with a German accent waxing philosophic about his art. So yeah, I can understand yes. people not not connecting the Zimmer thing. Uh, but if you're watching the Thin Red Line Criterion DVD, you're already maybe predisposed to the sort of to, thing. To watching that, that is, sort of thing, yeah. Zimmer is doing. That might yeah. be true. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But being the first movie uh, of his for 20 years, uh, people really love Badlands. People really love Days of Thunder. Or Days, uh, Days of Thunder. Thunder. Completely different. People did. People turns really... out people did not like Days of Thunder. That's a notable <laughs> yeah. thing that people. <laughs> it's not yeah. a good movie. It's true. It's true. Uh, people really love Badlands. People really love Days of Heaven. So a lot of people wanted to be involved with this. And there's also right. a bonus feature from the actors talking about some of the actors talking about what what they did to try and get their name out here, how they became connected with the project. Which um, was like I think the weirdest feature. If I'm being totally yeah. honest, yeah, like there's a, this movie comes with a lot of weird features. Um, yeah. the the interview with the cast is by far the weirdest one somehow. Despite the fact that one of them was an interview with a casting director, which is just not a thing I've ever seen before in my entire life. <laughs> right. And you would think that would be the weirdest one, but as it turns out, the interview with the the actors themselves was the weirdest one. Like, I don't, I don't know what was going on but the vibes are real strange in that one it's just a real i don't like it's probably because it involves sean penn i have to assume it's because it involves sean penn that's just what's making it weird but i don't know yeah (laughs) yeah sean penn just it's a weird dude too but like Uh, i don't know it's just when you watch it like just like it's. I found myself on a su- yeah. on a Saturday afternoon watching that feature, and I was like, "This is a very strange experience." I am not yeah. Sean, sure what's going on. Sean Penn is basically the most well known actor who who they got, and some of some of the interview stuff there feels like it's newer than others, and Sean Penn's feels relatively new compared to some of them. Some of them feel like they were recorded in 98. Yeah, they do. Yeah, uh, some of them do. And 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 honestly speaking, it, yeah, it doesn't feel like the, it doesn't feel like it was originally, yeah, I don't, it doesn't feel like they were all in the same place in the same day. The video quality's not even the same between them. Yeah, um, yeah. And like it's sort of them all sort of waxing poetic about the experience of working with Malik. But like and a lot of it, a lot of this entire set of features is that, right? Like, talk, but right, it's right. Of but course. like, it's also that kind of weird thing where like they're all describing what sounds like a nightmare, actually. <laughs> Not just the actors, Everybody. but every single feature is a, is essentially people describing a hellacious nightmare, but in yeah. like really like flurid like flurid tone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it's they, really they describe- odd. I'm like, you're describing hell. You are right now in a featurette. Like, yeah. got a funny smile on your face and are, like, staring off in the distance while you describe going through hell. Yeah, uh, because because the devil in this instance was a very kindly man who everyone respected artistically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but nonetheless, was was really treating you quite badly in many ways. Yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, I mean that bonus feature is interesting. I think for the people who don't end up in it, like Sean Penn's the only like real famous person who. Does yeah, none end of up the rest it. of them are in there. Makes you wonder, <laughs> Jimmy, right? Like, what was everybody Jim, else's experience like? Yeah, Caviezel's in it, but Caviezel definitely uh, wasn't. Uh, I mean, that's an early recording. That's that's Caviezel in '98, basically. Yes, uh, and and even um, then he looks kind of out of it. Like he's like, right, right, yeah. Uh, 
but like you know uh <laughs> a lot of the folks who have even even people who have more substantial roles um bro adrian brody is not interviewed there but adrian brody uh was originally the main character of the movie right uh before editing <laughs> in the script adrian brody's character is the main character and he is the author of the books insert character right like that is the character i mean he's based he's on got vi- like yeah. post editing he's barely in the movie <laughs> He's barely in the movie at all. He's got like one line and he's not, I don't even think the camera is on him when he delivers it. Right. Uh, and yeah. Uh, I so mean, is he not, ma- is it, is it, I, I have a fairly hard trouble with a lot of this kind of stuff. They, yeah. And is he, but he's the, the unknown, essentially the unknown narrator, right? I, like he's, I he voices over other parts that he's not visually in. I don't think that's Brody. Oh, is it not? It's very hard tell. to tell. It's very hard to tell because everyone is going for a very similar dialect yes. in their delivery, right? Um, it, it, and Well, so, but the thing about it, yeah, it might be, it, the only reason I say that is because the way that the daughter of the writer of the book talks about it, she makes it sound like Brody's character is also the one talking in all of those narration scenes. Yeah, but but those actual how those narration things actual function in the movie, I don't think it's. it's yeah, meant maybe to be not. Brody it's most it's. Of the time. Uh, yeah, who knows? Unfortunately, we, he, he doesn't talk enough for us to establish what his accent is. Yeah, we barely and, hear him. Talk. Uh, and most of the the voiceover at the start of the movie and the end of the movie. Uh, the editors talk about being nebulous and not connected to anyone. Right, right, right. Uh, unnamed. Um, but I Generally, wonder if, if, if any of that is actually legitimately taken from the book, which I have to assume yeah. some of that has to be. It was originally Brody's character, yeah. regardless of whether or not like it is in the yeah, movie. Yeah, probably. Right? Yeah. Um, in the movie, that generally gets credited to, I think, Train, uh, the kid who plays Train, who's the kid who talks about his father, you know, the, the real young one in a right. private train. Um, yeah. So uh, – not surprising that Brody didn't come back for that bonus feature because Brody probably is still sore about this movie. Yeah, <laughs> apparently he showed well, up at the premiere with his parents uh, and then discovered he was the star of this movie. movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you had to figure like there is a real obvious divide between like the people who essentially this per- this movie was a big part of like for lack of a better word sort of launching their career, and then the yeah. people who were like established actors who are none of whom appear in that right, feature, right, right. Yeah, like but yeah, but some people. <sighs> Most of the established actors are like cameos. Besides Sean Penn, they are Sean cameos. Penn's although I would not call but Nolte's character a, a cameo. Nolte, Nolte is not a cameo. Quite a bit. Yeah, Nolte's not in the not a cameo. Travolta is. He's more in a lot of that very beginning, right? Yeah. And then just isn't. I mean, like it's Clooney. a cameo, but it's like the entire first ten minutes or whatever, right? Yeah, Clooney is a cameo, right? Yes. Um, John Cusack, Woody Harrelson, they have sort of equal footing and kind of uh, medium with, length. Yeah. Medium length. Uh, I'm surprised Cusack or Harrelson didn't end up in, in that bonus feature. Uh, other people whose career this should have been a bump to, but, <laughs> but wasn't, uh, John C. Riley, obviously from the, uh, I mean, let's be and, clear and, here. It was in the sense that <laughs> I know who John C. Riley is. Yes, but you, you don't know, know who John C. Riley is in this movie. Yeah, I know. But my, my point is, is like, yeah. This is a person Riley. who, regardless of how his career has gone, has all the notoriety he needs because, like, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know how to explain it, but, yeah. like, the I, man's super famous in my eyes, for God's sake. Yeah. 
what I told you about the bonus features, I, I really do stand by that uh, if you watch the outtakes I and deleted scenes, I, I gave feature, up. I got so tired of extra features after a while. This movie has so many. You can get an idea of what movie Adrian Brody, John C. Riley, and Mickey Rourke thought they were in. Okay. Uh, I should I should have watched it. I remember you sent me that message. And I was like, I'm yeah. just so tired of watching. But it was like five o'clock today, and I'm like, I've been watching this movie literally forever. Yeah, because yeah. Bill Pullman, Lucas Haas, and Mickey Rourke were completely cut. Uh, wow. And okay. Rourke, Rourke Rourke considered it one of his best roles, apparently. <laughs> um, so he's in. He's actually that bonus feature only has like one thing with Mickey Rourke. Uh, he, and he is very good in it, but I'm sure there was even more substantial stuff because they shot uh, the the one editor said they had a million feet yes of yeah. film, and six thousand feet is an hour, right? Uh, so like that's that's a lot. Well, remember that's... the other editor was talking like we made him eventually watch the five hour cut. Yes, yes, but also said that that was the only cut Malik ever watched in its entirety. So that's what I when I say that too. he was like, <laughs> yeah. people were editing for him for vibe. Like, I yeah. want to be clear here. It sounds like working for Terrence Malik is like literally hell. <laughs> like he but won't sit down and help it. you. Like it was he so won't sit great. down and help so you great. edit. Yeah. he'll he'll record right. you and never use you. He'll like. Yeah. He'll make you go through boot camp. He's decided that you're going to method act act whether you like it or not. Right. Like it sounds like hell, like literal yeah. hell. But he's also dealing with a bunch of twenty year old guys who love this. Right. I, I understand. And well, that but like you have I to think... wonder, right? If that's his idea, and he's making them all method act, basically method act whether they like it or not. There might be other reasons some other people do not appear in the bonus features. That no, that's absolutely. They true. may have not enjoyed uh, it as much as the twenty-year-old gung ho dudes did, who are getting think, their big break. I think the most uh, the most surprising person not to be included in this, I would have expected Jared Leto to be part of that that bonus feature. Yes, yeah, I know. Like, I agree. Like, yeah, um, I <laughs> given. Uh, Given Jared Leto's career, I wonder. I wonder if that uh, that camp uh, that everybody. I wonder if this was. I don't know what Jared Leto was like in the film roles he had before 1998, but I am fearful that making Jared Leto go, assuming he did, go to this boot camp for uh, the Thin Red Line is what established Jared Leto's. Uh, over insistence on taking method acting to creepy levels. Yeah, I mean it's definitely uh, possible. Like, I mean, I mean, I, I, okay, like you know, a lot has been written and talked about with regards to method acting and how basically everybody yeah. does method acting wrong <laughs> because even the person who invented it was like, "Whoa, you're not supposed to make this creepy, uh, <laughs> right, right?" And make people feel unsafe. Um, like, I'm really, I don't know, man. Like. It sounds like like he just sort of like in a it, it's it's a very like seemingly very friendly, very kind nightmare. Like I don't know how to describe it any other yeah. way. Like yeah. yeah, they're out. Like it's like they're they're describing like setting up the the shoot the shots and like the scenes and they're taking like all day and then like he doesn't seem to know what he wants. Like he seems to have a vision of what he wants because like final result. It's a beautiful movie. 
It was very clear. Like yeah. visually, it is stunning. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I I feel personally, and this is just me. I'm gonna get it out of the way. Don't particularly like this movie very much. I okay. liked I liked um, Days of Heaven quite a bit more. Yeah. I had problems with it, but I liked it quite a bit more. I think that it's very easy to cross the boundary where, like, ah, man, this is really hard. I've been thinking about this all day and all yesterday, too. Like, you can make a movie where, like, I can feel the fact that he didn't necessarily know what he wanted when he walked through the door day one in the Mm -hmm. final movie. Okay. You can feel that it was made in editing. I well, obviously, it was made in editing. Yeah, I mean, that. it's very, That's very funny. clear. Like, I mean, it's very yeah. clear in everything way that everybody describes it. But yeah. you could spot that from a million miles away. Yeah, I love, I love in the uh, in the actor interviews. I can't remember who says it, but he describes how he shot the same scene uh, during sunlight, during overcast, and during magic yeah, hour yeah. evening. Yeah. Uh, and, and and that's described it, as brilliant, basically. Described it as brilliant because Malik's Malik's is, uh, his his response to being questioned on that was, no, "Well, now I can put this scene anywhere in the movie, right?" Uh, Which like that doesn't like I understand that like it, that bothers me. That like really yeah, bothers no, me. No, it's it's very clear then that uh, I don't know when you go in to to make the movie. Uh, and have seemingly no intention, no idea of what the final product is going to be while you're shooting it. Uh, I'm glad that they weren't wasting everyone's time, but Terrence Malick can do that. If I were to do that, everyone would quit, right? <laughs> so Right. Well, that's, that's what I be, mean. It's it like, would be a it, clear sign that I have no idea what I'm doing. Right. And, uh, like, it's very clear. Every description that is provided about this movie is that, like, that he had no fucking clue what he wanted the final movie to be. Yeah. And that, I think, that just bothers me on a core level, like a deep level that you like to, to do like, I, I do don't, think, I don't know how to explain exactly why that bothers me, but it does deeply bother me. I do think why, why it happened. Uh, remember that quote from the human condition about, uh, your problems stemming from your job and yourself being in conflict. Yes, yeah. Uh, I think that Malik decided to adapt the Thin Red Line for whatever reason. He connected with the philosophy of the book or something. Uh, it is very clear from what everyone says across the board in, produ- in the production extra features, Terrence Malik did not want to make a war movie. Right. But Terrence Malick put himself into a position where he had to make a war movie. Right. And it's weird because, like, that's the book you picked, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, at its heart, the book is sort of an anti-war movie. The author of the book. The author of the book was... (laughs) It's very weird. His his daughter is in a special feature talking about him because he has passed away. Uh, And she, she says in it that he hated war and he hated bureaucracy but he loved the army uh it's a very conflicting thing right to and, be, and right? like and i and you notice that throughout you actually notice a similar yeah. sort of mental conflict in the movie itself not 
probably I because of it, the source material necessarily, yeah. but Malick's way of dealing with it in the sense right. that Malick right. clearly doesn't want to make a war yeah. movie, is and making Malick, a war movie. Malick doesn't like shooting the action scenes. Uh, one of the actors says that he he uh, that Malick had said they should hire Rennie Harlan to shoot the the action scenes for this, you know. But he's but he's essentially making an action movie. Whether or not he thinks it's a philosophical action movie is the reason he decided to make it. He's still making an action movie. He's making an action movie. Uh, he's making a movie about death, about a lot of people dying, right? Uh, and then he still wants to make this artistic philosophical thing. And I would, I, I do believe this was meant to be an anti-war movie. I think I, this is a prime I mean, example. Yes, I agree. I think this is perhaps the Uber example of why you can't make an anti-war movie that actually depicts war. Uh, <laughs> because uh, for all the tragedy in this movie, all the death, all the senseless death, all of the uh, bureaucracy and, and generals who are more concerned about their own rewards, uh, forcing people into, forcing no-name working-class people uh, into the jaws of death. Uh, for their own promotion. Uh, this is a movie that points out all the bad stuff about that bureaucracy, but all of that tragedy means nothing when we win, right? Right. So. And, 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 and like the movie try. Okay. So like I have a, a lot of this movie. I had a real rough time watching this movie. Okay. Um, and, and, and there's a lot of it is what you're describing there. Uh, it's an interesting thing that we have watched significantly more Japanese war movies than we have watched American yes. war movies, which we I don't have. think is a bad thing. Give me, but I'm going to talk about why it's kind of skewed my perspective on this quite a bit. Um, yeah, we've watched not just a lot of Japanese war movies; we watched a lot of very good Japanese war movies. Yeah, one or one of which I believe is the closest to an actual, true, honest to God anti-war movie you could ever make. Yes. A movie that is so deeply assessed with how fucking terrible this entire thing is that it doesn't yes. actually ever bother to show very much fighting at all. Um, and it doesn't, and it never bothers to show a victory, right? No. There's and, no victory and, to be had. And, and I think what I've, what I've mentally spent my, the last three days mulling over is, uh, is I have a new, I've adopted a new philosophy with regards to war movies, okay? And this uh -huh. is not new for the world, I mean new for me, Um what I noticed is is that, and this is by nature of what happened, the way the, the war unfolded, um, the Japanese war movies are all, for the most part, and we, we've not, like, this is not all Japanese war movies. The war, Japanese war movies we have watched are always coming from a place of profound disillusionment with the entire thing. Yes. Right? This yeah. is a, they, they're, they've come to turn, they're trying to come to terms with the fact that, like, they as a country and as a people feel like they were tricked into this thing it's a yeah. it is fundamentally a loss it resulted in their entire you know the entire country being taken over yeah. sort of everything being well, reshaped and redone and all this stuff right um and and, yeah, and we can talk about like more deep trenched politics and like how like well it didn't change yeah. for certain people um yeah. but like and then you know it's followed immediately by a movement and then like there's no other war after that that like they're actively engaged. You know, the, the, the yeah, it comes from a place they, of of a sense of profound loss, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. And American war films, well, okay, there's a reason for that, I think. And that's yeah. because most of the Japanese war films we've watched were artists who lived through the war and fought in the war. Right. Coming to terms post, post-war with, yes. with what I, was going 100%. on. Yes, 100%. And right. it, oftentimes we're, if not, we're either adults or at least co- like conscious children, like people who yes. knew what was happening yeah. around them. Right. Uh, so one, you know, this being a movie made in 98 instead of 64. I think there is a 1964 adaptation of The Thin Red Line uh, that I've never seen, but I think would definitely feel different to uh, this probably, movie, but, just because it's not made by Malick. Right. Uh, you know. I, but that is so <laughs> bad. Like, let's be very clear. We can, like, if you've yeah. seen... You've seen, oh, all, yeah, like, I doubt it. The American movie industry better. was was <laughs> worse about this, not better in 1964. Yeah. <laughs> a yeah. lot of times, yeah. right? It is it is obvious that the author of this book was someone who is working through his PTSD in writing right these books, right? Um, not that they would have called it PTSD when he was writing, right? Uh, I think it is also true. Now, worst, worst person you know says says true thing. Uh, Sean Penn says says a really smart thing uh, in his his portion of the interview at one point, and that's that uh, we're dealing with a time where there was no disillusionment of the soldier in the popular consciousness, at least. Right? We're not Vietnam. Uh, we don't we don't have everyone on the ground knowing that the government doesn't have their back. We don't have everyone on the ground knowing that they're being sold out. Uh, they are. And Sean Penn maybe doesn't point out that. Right. <laughs> they are being sold out. Uh, especially especially in instances like Guadalcanal, uh, where where we're just throwing a whole bunch of men. Right. Uh, yeah. You're just going to you're going to go yeah. until you clog up the meat grinder. I don't, basically. Yeah. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to get too deep into we don't need to litigate world war ii uh, well we might do a little uh, bit of that because i'm not quite but, uh, well not american strategy no but we, we might but, we're yeah. gonna do a little bit more because i do have a, like a yeah. further continuation of my point that i want to make yeah yeah but um so you know we're we're also getting because that's the vision of the generation of people making this movie right because there's the vision the vision we have inherited in in idolizing world war ii above anything else like vietnam is is the bad war world war ii is when well we were fighting nazis if there was a just war it is world war ii uh and it's not that that is not unfair uh to 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 justify shutting down fascism that's great if that were actually anyone's motivation right and so then then we're gonna get i I do want to get into Uh, that in a minute too right right but uh but yeah um so everyone's here, and Malik's vision is is that there is no there is no this disillusionment. And I think I don't remember where it was. It, it might have been in the essay. Um, it might have been something someone else said in one of the bonus features. But this is not an original thought to me. I, I will admit that um, was someone saying that World War II was a war where all of the soldiers experienced it individually, um, where all of that. All of that emotion, any sadness, any regret was internalized instead of shared. And I think with Japanese films particularly, and this is, I think, true of many European films. Right, we just haven't watched well, very many. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, 
that that grief is communal in very real ways. Uh, right. And, and I think there's a there's some reasons why that happens. Um, yeah, for sure. And one of the things I wanted to get into here is that, like, we, we've watched a lot of Japanese war films, post-war, you know, war films that were made, as we talked about, about it, by a very specific generation that, like, has internalized it, like, the loss of it, right, in a real serious right. way. Whereas America has said to themselves, like, and, and this movie, despite being anti-war, has internalized this just as much as any other, basically almost every war film, at least about World War II, that I've ever seen, which is, it comes from a place of, like, a sense of righteousness, right? Like, yeah, for all this was bad, it was worth it, right? We did a good thing, right? Yeah. And I'm, not, I'm never going to disagree that, that killing Nazis and fascists is a bad thing, okay? Or wait, did that sentence come out wrong? Yes, it did. <laughs> I used too many negatives. The point is it's yes. good to kill fascists, it okay? <laughs> yeah. The okay. point I'm trying to make is it's good to, to stop and kill fascists. But but the thing about it is is it's you know Americans have in, have it and certainly Malik's got it and every every other war film I've ever seen about a World War II has internalized this idea that like we're the good guys we're doing a good yeah. thing and 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 you know with with the with the benefit of hindsight and sort of grow self growth and, and I used to like I mean I really enjoyed. Band of Brothers. I enjoyed Saving Private yeah. Ryan when I watched it because I had well, this internalized as well in many ways. But the problem I run into now is the fact that, like, I now understand that this was essentially a, a slap fight between fascists, right? right in every right. regard, right? I'm, like, it's yeah. it's especially the Pacific War because really, like, you don't even have the Soviets involved, so you're it's really just a slap fight between between two fascists arguing over who gets to dominate the sort of right. Asian realm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the the Pacific War was so much about future control of the Pacific. Yeah, period, exactly. Right? Uh, and yeah, I mean that's that's one of the I will a slight pushback to say that this movie does doesn't glorify American soldiers in a way uh, that many other films have because we do see American soldiers doing things that the movie wants us to know are bad things. No, I, I right. agree. I'm not saying this movie uh, is reprehensible, but the problem I, yeah. my problem that I was going through with was not specifically this movie per yeah. se, but this and, movie wants to have high-minded ideals. It In its right. in its heart, Part it of, wants to truly be anti-war, but because right. it always has that like self-righteousness yeah. baked in, and, because he just can't, right. he can't escape it. Nobody can. Right. It's like, yeah. and it's, you can't. Yeah. This, this movie isn't afraid of uh, seeing Americans do bad things because part of the point of this movie, part of the anti-war point of this movie is that war dehumanizes regular people into doing these things. Well, I mean, but your your point, you and I are making essentially the same point, but like yeah. the movie wants us to understand that war makes people act in, in sort of what we would call right, inhuman right. ways. Right. But like because it still comes from, it still has that underlying base of self-righteousness. Yeah. The result is that, like, it, it's always it's always got a butt, a trailing butt, right. where it's like, yeah, and you that, know, it makes us ask humans. It's terrible, but it had to happen. Nine, we had to yeah, do it. Not, right, right. Nine, ten times out of ten, it's it was necessary. Right, that's the butt. Um, and yeah, that's you know, the Come movie on. gets into this too, right? Because we're we're talking about. I love the newsreel bonus feature. I did too, not watch because it. It's, a, it's exactly what you would expect it to be. It is exactly what you would expect it to be. But but it's a smart reminder 
and the movie does this a little bit, but the newsreels really hammer it home. So I am glad that Criterion put them on. It is a smart reminder that uh, American propaganda at the time was uh, presenting the Japanese as invaders. And yes, they were. Yeah. To to Micronesia or uh, you know to the Solomon I mean, Islands to to, to yeah Melanesia. absolutely to all the places that they they're, yeah. they are occupying they are one hundred percent invaders but but the Americans are also invaders here they right. are and they are going to continue yes. to occupy all of these spaces <laughs> right. yes in perpetuity in yes um, listen they got out of some of them uh, right but, but but just replaced it with neocolonialism right like the, right, they right. they got out of out of them once they realized that like they had enough financial control over the place that they no longer had to physically occupy it with. Right. 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 And then you yeah. see that map going around of every American na- uh, base surrounding China right now. And it's like, well, did they really yeah. get out of any of them? Right. Right. Yeah. Cause essentially so, the entire like Pacific area has a gun to its head at all times. Right. Right. You know, part of, part of the visual aesthetic of this film gives us the theme of this heaven on earth where two outside forces are fighting and destroying it, right? And our our main character, uh, really, you know, from what we're introduced to him with and his disconnection here, our main character really would just rather live in the heaven on earth, which right, but, just wants to be there. Which right? I, which is, I get where that's an, I understand that's an anti-war thing, and I get yeah. it. But he's still an outside, like he's still an right. invader. Who's just decided right. that this place would be better off being a vacation spot, yeah. basically? I mean, like, I mean, that's that's extra mean to him as a character. But like, the yeah. point is, is that like he's sort of got this kind of like, well, I've discovered the secret, which is this would be a really cool place to just hang out and chill out, like this right. other group of people does, which always gets vaguely into the like noble savagey kind of thing a little bit kind of yeah. thing not too I, bad I don't it's think, not terrible that way or anything like that i don't think it needs to get there to be bad uh but, right but it does but, it may yeah. it, it it feels like i get what he's going for here but i would say that in my deepest feeling i feel like terrence malik also needs to take a look inside a little bit more yeah maybe and and like i like i can't blame him too much because he's he's done a better job than 90 percent of the movie's about this topic that I have seen. Don't get yeah. me wrong. It, at least it's not Saving Private Ryan, uh, <laughs> a movie that came out like six months before this. Um, right. A time when America was deeply obsessed with making lots of World War II, like, re, yeah. like redoing World yeah, War II again. Just... All the children of the people who fought in World War II decided they needed to make their World War II movies. Well, yeah. I mean, it was everybody, everybody who was born between 1943 and 1950 decided they needed to make right. uh, and, a movie about the world they were born into, which is, right. you know, uh, absolutely understandable. Well, know? make a movie about, uh, yes, but make a movie about a world that they were, like, but again, it's all people who are children of people who, like, you know what I mean? It's the, it's more about making a movie about your parents, right? In many oh, yeah, ways, yeah, right? Yeah. And, think, like, there's I nothing wrong with too. that, but, like, you're already going to have those rose-colored glasses put on because it's yeah. basically making a movie about your parents. Um, and what my point about it was just that like, this feels like a good step, but an incomplete one in terms of like, truly starting to try to like, think about what this thing actually meant, right? 
Right. I'm not. I'm not accusing Terrence Malick of doing a bad job or anything like. That. I, I am accusing him of being <laughs> somehow very nice, but also abusive on set. But like, uh, and to all the people who was working for him. But um, mainly, it's just that like it feels like if to me, it's anti-warness feels half baked. Mm-hmm. Like, and again, I, I think. I think that boils down to the inability to make an anti-war film that actually shows battle. Right. Yeah, uh, that's probably. I mean, th- that is a big part of it. I would say that also. Be, because, I think it might be also very hard to make an anti-war film as an American. Like it might be uniquely yeah. difficult. In a way I that think, it is maybe not as hard for almost anybody who's been on the other end of it. I think that might be fair. Uh, yeah. Uh, no pushback on that point from me. Certainly. Um, yeah. It's like it's not it's his just, fault that he's an American. Like I'm not right. saying he's bad or something because of it, but but like I think it might just be legitimately f- ten times harder. Growing, just because you're going to have to let America, go of so much more. America has a culture of war, and this is not untrue for other countries. But I grew up in America. Yeah, um, we know America has a culture. America has a culture of war that does. You know, part of the point of this movie is that war dehumanizes. That the culture of war we grew up in dehumanizes right that's right why, it's, it's a that's con- why, it's a continuous process it doesn't just happen right. during the thing you're fighting at the moment right and it's very much true particularly of world war ii where uh you know we we we've joked about british world war ii brain but it's just as much american of this idea that to stop the enemies who are the worst enemies ever uh we are allowed to do anything right right we we uh, can be as bad or worse than them in any regard, right? We have to stop yeah. them. Yeah, and that is not to downplay the badness of Hitler. Uh, Hitler was very bad. Hitler deserved to be stopped. Uh, Hitler deserved to have never gotten started, but that's uh, not something we were interested yeah, in. Yeah, we're not litigating that <laughs> but, right now, right? Yeah, yeah no, it's... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but the thing is, is we've never, as, a, as Americans, we've never let go of the mentality that, right. well, everybody we fight needs to be taken in that regard right right like and because and because of that we still get very mainstream defense of say the bombing of nagasaki and hiroshima yeah yeah. as as necessary i Uh, mean massive firebombing campaigns that were just entirely engaged with the idea of like just destroying massive amounts of civilian population like right total war is a is a and we, a horrible, horrible thing that we've never let go of, right? Everything deserves right. Total, total war. Yeah. As far as America is concerned. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Yeah. and still plenty of people in decision-making uh, capacities who still believe in total war, right? Uh, and, and, that, and bear in mind, I don't yeah. think, I just to be very clear, I don't think total war was good in World War II either. <laughs> like, I don't, no. I de- no. like, it my point is, is that, like, there, the, even the justification that they used at the time doesn't exist anymore, and they, you know what I mean? Like, nothing ever rolls backwards, right? Like, it, right. it never, it will never recede. It will only grow, right? Right. Um, and and yeah, I I don't know. My other my other sort of like, if I had to make a, I and I know this is probably on purpose because it's supposed to be from the perspective of these guys, but yeah. like. It doesn't make it any less feel weird and icky the way the Japanese soldiers are like the lens for the Japanese soldiers in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like it feels more like a zombie movie than it feels like anything else. Yeah. 
because uh, they're mostly unseen, and then they're, they're just never... screaming hordes that get mowed down, and then like yeah. when you do see them, they're acting wild and yeah, right. Now there are there are moments of humanity with the Japanese there, soldiers, but there by are. and large, they 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 don't exist. And, um, and when they do exist, they're mostly just crazed maniacs, basically, as far right. as the movie's concerned. And I think that's on purpose, right? Because is... I think Malik's trying to pers- to convey to us the way that the American soldiers are seeing them. Yeah. But that's that's is... a tough, tough road to hoe. Like, let's be right. very clear here. And One... I don't know that it's entirely successful here. Yeah. Right. You know, there is, particularly when we first encountered it, the Japanese soldiers. Um, one, one. Once that group takes gets to the top of the hill, everyone's a shooting savant suddenly on the American side. Yeah, yeah. Which is when I made my, when I made my first note about the failures of an anti-war movie that shows war. Uh, yeah, they just uh, they they never get hit and they shoot everybody. Yeah. Suddenly they're the yeah. heroes in like any other movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, people who have never killed a man killed a man at all now kill dozens in blind panic. And then, uh, and then later feel bad about it, right? right. Uh, but um, actually, that that is an interesting thing. So the interview with the daughter of the author in the book yeah. features, um, uh, the book came out, I think, in the late fifties is uh, when it was released, and James Jones at uh, sixty two is when it came out. Um, and he also wrote From Here to Eternity, actually. Uh, you know, another movie that's been adapted at least once to a fairly famous movie. Um, it's... I want to talk about something she mentioned, so I know you okay. watch it. Uh, no, I watched hers. Two. Oh, you, you did? Okay. The only one I um, skipped was the outtakes and the newsreel, because like, I, I can't... Yeah. I you don't need another newsreel need in my watch, life. I, didn't I, need I can't to watch do the it newsreel. anymore. And it was it was actually about a dozen newsreels, <laughs> end after end. Um, but uh, okay, so so she mentions that, uh, and this isn't in the movie, but she mentions that her father, uh, I don't even know if it's in the book, uh, or at least I think if it it's is more in the of book, a he anonymizes, right? Because like his in insert character doesn't do yeah. exactly what he did in the war. Like she right. describes, he was only in the war someone, for a very few number yeah. of days. Someone someone does this in the book, but it's not him in the book. I think. Uh, she says she says she describes this story. He described this story. He he would tell this story about a thing he knew had happened, not not the not as a thing he did. But what I I'm I'm prancing around it a lot. Uh, she talks about him uh, going out to the woods to poop into the jungle, and a and her description starved Japanese soldier. Uh, comes upon him and they fight and neither of them want to draw the attention of the other side uh so they fight in silence uh without without shooting and he kills the man with the butt of his rifle and then keeps his wallet yeah i i was really really frustrated by that. like yeah and then she describes it what, what's really kind of annoying like the really deeply upsetting part is that like then he like brings it out to like cry like when he's yes. like to show. I'm like you took you didn't need to take that off of that person. Yeah. Like yeah. you didn't he need. Didn't... It. Why did you take? You took a trophy. You you and are no better than the men you described in this movie. Right. right. 
and and ultimately what what he treats it as is not a trophy right it was in in the instance of taking it i don't know we we don't have him telling us why he took it we don't have the daughter even really speculating about why he took it right but he took it and he had it and he kept it for decades uh i was particularly disturbed by her description of him taking pictures out of the wallet yeah like if there were pictures then there was a path to recovery of a thing right you could have uh as a form of repentance for what you had did because you feel bad about it so you want to repent for it right you could have tried to return that wallet to the man's family and and I would argue, in the grand scheme of things, I, I this sort of fits into kind of what we've been talking about. You never needed to take the wallet at all. Oh, never needed to. Never and, should. Have. And and there's no and there's no there is no universe where you do that where it is not a trophy. I'm sorry. Right. But like yeah, the initial, you, you the just initial kill decision. the man. You can yeah. just walk away from his body. Right. The initial decision. It was not. There's, yeah, I cannot imagine. And I understand what you're saying that, like, he, he, I also agree that there were probably paths to recover that. But, like, they presumably that person's body could have been recovered later on by people who could actually send that stuff back to his family. Right. Right. And you just took that away from them. Yeah. Right. And there are, if they were family pictures, right? Yeah, that's what's really good. Yeah, I mean, it's like family yeah. photos and shit. Like, what, we don't know. What, we don't get to pictures, see it, but... Yeah, what pictures does a person carry in their wallet? Uh, it's not It's not just, uh, you know, he's not crying over a picture of Hirohito, right? Right, uh, exactly. Yeah, and, and, and it's really all very disturbing when you... And, like, yeah. when you add that up with other... Honestly speaking, I've decided I do not like the author of this book as a person. Yeah, yeah. Because when, when she runs through her father and describes yeah. him, now, mind you, it's very secondhand. It's it's her memories of him and all this stuff. So he sounds like a person I would not enjoy being in the company of. Yeah, he decide he's well, he's very anti. He he's I mean, first of all, if you describe yourself as anti-war but like pro-army, I I've, I'm already like you've lost me. I you're a, kind of a weirdo to me, but like. But also, like they, he moves them to France and they live in France because they. But they also, he decides to like raise them as militantly American, basically. Yeah. In France. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't want them to be too French. Um, I guess I bring that up to say that I think it's particularly true of trophies, but I think the victory of World War II is just the biggest trophy, uh, of any war trophy. I mean. Um, and this was taken as a war trophy and it became a, uh, it became a, a totem of regret to him. And that's certainly a possibility with, with war trophies. You can see, uh, you know, you took it in the moment and you come to realize it was a bad thing for you to take it, but it is beyond your, uh, mental capacity to return it in any meaningful way, right? I think there are people who have tried to to undo. I'm, to I'm sure there bell. are. And there are people who have more successfully done it than others. And I think, I think uh, you know, getting beyond physical objects 
you know, the pilots of the Enola Gay have uh, attempted to repent, right? Some right. Of them. And, uh, yeah. And, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's hard, right? Because, like, especially when you're dealing with trophies, right? Like, yeah. I've never been in war. I will. Yeah. All well, the, things willing, I will never be in war. I'm I'm always upset and disturbed by the idea of taking trophies. Whenever I encounter yeah. the concept of trophies, like they show up in enough, and like anytime I you think... look at like historical things, where it's like, why, why, I, you didn't, you didn't win a football game. You murdered people. Yeah. The other, like, the other why thing, are you keeping trophies. The other thing a war trophy becomes, and I think this is more common, is an idol. Yeah. A, uh, a. Uh, Idol to pass glory, perhaps at its most innocent. Not that that is innocent, uh, but but an idol nonetheless. Uh, and this entire movie still falls to the victory of World War II being an idol, right? Um, and 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 I would argue that in all of this guy's sort of like regret about some of the elements of it, the the writer, you know, I've never read the mo- the book, but yeah. everything I've just heard it described as, everything like that. Is it in many ways is it is as much as as well a victim of that, right? Like it is like, you know, it may be that trophy is regretful for him, but he like is still breaking it out. It's still like it's you can also cry in front of your idols. Right. You right, mean right, lots right. of religions are full yeah, of no, that. No, no, it's still it's still I, I use I use totem and idol there to to just have different terms to tie a totem. Right, is still and I, an idol. yeah, <laughs> yes. And, but the point I'm making is he's crying, in, but he's still in, breaking it out a, for for memory purpose. Yeah, it's it is it's still, like his thing that helps him remember right. the war. As, but is the thing stolen off the body of a man he killed? There's yeah. a there's a disconnect Better. there, right? Like at some point you probably should have just burned that shit if you were never going to return right. it. I think I think a better a better word to use there to to not um I hesitate to use the word totem in that way either because it's sort of Well, that's got its own the way I, extra bit of The like, way I talk about religion is obviously right? built built up within a Christian background. Um uh, so I I try to use the word idol sort of in a negative sense across the board because I wouldn't I wouldn't call what I might call a totem, an idol, with that negative sense. But anyway, the better word here would be an albatross, right? In in very much the rhyme of the ancient man. Right. <laughs> okay. Sense. You know, uh, the wallet has become an albatross to him, right? It is a thing that that he did in the moment, feeling like it was the right thing to do for whatever reason. Uh, obviously, it it was not, but but it became a sign of of continuing regret to him. Right, and then you, uh, and and then I understand that like people are, are complicated psychologically and stuff like that, but like yeah. the fact that he doesn't ever let it go, right, in and of itself feels sort of makes the whole thing more complicated, it. right? Like, yeah, at some point you probably if you know, you know what I mean. Like, it means you do want to remember some part of that thing. Yeah, yeah, and you know. Obviously, the 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 act of making a movie is itself an act of remembrance, but the act of making this movie is not different than something like Band of Brothers or something like Saving Private Ryan, right? That are much more much more patriotic in what they're trying to do. But this isn't it, a movie. Oh, go go ahead. 
patriotism is the wrong word there because the, uh, I, th- I think this is still meant to be a patriotic movie, even if it's an yeah. anti-war movie, right? Well, and, and, and it's worth noting that, like, not as in a different way, but, like, I, you know, it's been a while since I watched Saving Private Ryan, but I did watch it quite a few times when it came out. I didn't have a lot of movies in college, um, the yeah. first freshman year of college. Um, you know, it is very much a movie that is also, like, gesturing at the same sorts of anti-war things like oh like look how what kind of monsters we had to become to do this uh band of brothers does the same thing it's slightly more successful in just nothing else the fact that it interviews actual the actual people so in in that regards it you can at least see the pain on their actual faces instead of it being replaced by actors uh but nonetheless they all come from the same place and they all kind of in my mind have the same result which is like that the thing we talked about at the beginning or earlier, which is like it was real bad. It dehumanizes us. It we feel like in many ways it makes us sad to this day. But dot dot dot. Right. But it was necessary. Yeah. 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 And that's yeah. For the realism of being able to portray a group of soldiers, I can understand the boot camp. Uh trying to build up that camaraderie, trying to build up that relationship so that they can accurately represent it. You know, it's, again, I disagree fundamentally with... Uh, <laughs> with method acting? The modern, the modern method of method acting. Well, but, and even um, then, like... I don't it, think like, it's necessary. But. I forget I forget which, but that that, yeah. that old idea that, like, the, the people who are anti-method acting are just like, you can't act this right, without... Right. Exp- like, that's, what are you talking that's about? That's your is. job. Right. Like... Yeah, but the the fact remains that if we if we want to excuse all of that as method as putting people in the right headspace to portray the characters they're portraying, well, we can't do that because we can't put them into the socioeconomic space. Right, right. That that these characters were all you're having. doing is Even, replicating like physical conditions, right. not like yeah. the things that are actually important, which is like right. Why are they here? And, what and are one they thing thinking you're, about? Yeah, one, yeah, you know, you're not you're not recreating the economic conditions, and one thing you are definitely not recreating is the spiritual conditions, right? Right. Of 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 the people in this time, of the fears they had, of of the hopes they had. I right? mean, you're not replicating a lot of things, right? You're not replicating the sort of propaganda that they've been fed for X number right. of amount yeah. of time to like get them really <laughs> well, ready to just kill as, these other as, human beings as we've already said they don't really need we don't need to replicate that because it never stopped no but, i know um, but like you yeah. i mean you watch the newsreels right there's a spe- right, there's right. A, it, it does change tenor the newsreels yes. are 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 aggressively yeah like specifically and aggressively like violently uh like jingoistic right like right right Whereas America's got this point, like generally, whoever we're not fighting, there's a general malaise, like malaise of like general jingoism that's always floating in the yes. ether in America, and then whoever we're actually fighting gets the like specific focused version of it, right? Right, right. Um, and so at this point, like, you know, it, well, my point is, is like you're not going to ever make it so that these guys virulently, violently 
hate Japanese people at that moment, right? And that sort right. of stuff, right? There's a lot of things that right. can't be replicated. My point is that, and like... We sh- and we shouldn't want to replicate No, that, no, no. To and that's an why this movie. is all very <laughs> stupid in my mind. The entire yeah. notion yes. is stupid. Yes. Yeah. Uh, like, I don't know. Did did Malik insist on the same conditions for for the Japanese actors in this movie? I who, I who, don't even know what's going on there because yeah. they're not speaking parts. They don't. Right. None of them are credited. Right. Like it's just this. It, I was knowing weird. nothing about this movie. Given the first hour and a half of it, even even up to the point where they encounter the bunker. I was convinced that we would not visually see any Japanese in this movie. Which, which, frankly, for me, would have been a better result. I think that's fair. I think, I think when they decided to show them raiding the camps, yeah, though, in many ways, the whole thing sort of goes off the rails for me in a lot of ways because, like, it's again, like, there's this sort of zombie-ish sort of thing going on. Yeah. They're acting like crazed animals, and again, I understand that you could you could make a very cogent argument. You're yeah. trying to show the way that those U.S. soldiers saw their enemy. I but the thing about it is, there's nothing there's nothing nuanced or fundamentally unique or special about that. We already know. We you know what I mean? That's a thing that everybody already knows. Yeah, everything. It's obviously based in. Malik's insistence on, you know, he's already gone through this movie to figure out where he doesn't need dialogue, right? But I think the choice to not subtitle the Japanese yeah, uh, is further dehumanizing. Right, and, and, uh, and, and I get why you would want to do... I, I understand where that comes from, but it, it feels... It will never not feel gross to me coming from the other direction, right? Right. right. Because, like, we just, they're already... They've all the Japanese during World War II are already as dehumanized by American society right. as they could possibly be. Yeah, I think you know we, you and I have taken some time and we've we've recorded the bonus episode between this. But remember that last week, as far as the podcast is concerned, we just watched Merry Christmas, uh, Christmas, Mister Lawrence. Right. right, a movie uh, that is much more obsessed with the humanity of all of these people. Right, of everyone on both sides. Yes. Right? Yeah, this movie is not which, obsessed with humanity. Right, which makes, it, to it me, hints at the Merry Christmas, Mar- Mr. Lawrence, and significantly more actually anti-war movie Yeah, yeah. than The Thin Red Line. Like, leaps and bounds more anti-war. Right. And and Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, wasn't even necessarily seeking to be an anti-war movie. It was seeking to be right. an anti-war movie in a very, and we talked about this last week, in a very Renoir way. Of uh, you know, there's there's differences, and you can go listen to that episode. We nuance this a bit, uh, but you know, it's it's very Brotherhood of Man. Uh, if this had more Brotherhood of Man, sure, uh, it's too cynical to be Brotherhood of Man, and it should be. It came out in 1998. It's about the American Army. Uh, it should be cynical, uh, but it should be cynical about the American side of this, not about dehumanizing. Right. Exactly. Uh, I, I am wrong. The um, I was wrong about one thing. Some of the yeah. Japanese actors are credited. They're just not on any of the I, on the any of the Wikipedia pages. They're only on the IMDb right, right, right. pages. Yeah, because IMDb's like better about that. I mean, I didn't I watch the credits for the movie. Like I, I, I don't remember whether or not. Time. Yeah, I'm sure they are credited in the credits. But it's also you know we've got. Uh, I'm not intimately fil- familiar with the Japanese acting scene of the late 90s. Uh, 
but I have to imagine that this is not similar to uh, uh, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. We are not dealing with the highest named, uh, most recognizable people on both sides of this equation. Uh, right. I mean, I a few think... of the actors, um, the Japanese actors, at least, I went and like looked up their IMDb. Some of them appear, you know, it's the classic case of like some of these, this is like literally the only thing they're ever in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some of them have other, you know, classic other situation, role. right? Yeah. Yeah. Have other yeah, credits. Working actors, too. And, you know, plenty of these guys were working actors who just happened to become famous after this, right? Right. Yeah. That's um, also very true. So, yes. Yeah. Uh, so I can't I can't really speak to that. But we are never we are never meant to directly connect with the humanity of of any of those. And and honestly, if if the movie had portrayed uh, Jones's story about the fight with a guy while he was trying to poop uh, <laughs> and taking his wallet and and even condensed so that he has the emotional response of taking that wallet earlier uh, before he leaves. You know, it would require more focus on Adrian Brody than uh, Malik ended up wanting to do. But right. uh, <laughs> but it would have been something. About right, and, and see, that's that's the interesting thing, right, is that, like, the reason why Adrian Brody's character was meant to be the main character is because, in many ways, Adrian Brody's character, at least it sounds like, is going through the actual point of the story, right? Which is, like, right. trying to reconcile, like, humanity with, like, what they've actually got going on here and and that sort of stuff. But, like, still... But, like, instead we get Wit, who is kind of given a sort of like pseudo Buddhist vibey sort of thing going on where he's like yeah. kind of disconnected from the whole thing and sort of just floating through it and like isn't really engaged with it in many ways right like yeah. which I think is yeah. makes him the wrong perspective character for a movie like this anyway uh, in right. a lot of ways right you've picked the guy who's floating rather than the guy who's actually engaging with it right yeah and you know, we don't get the Japanese in this movie are not portrayed as some anonymous force. It's not quite as plenty it's of it is pretty close. It's though, very man. Bad. There's a lot it of screaming and running over hills but, for no reason, yeah. and then just getting mowed down. Yeah. When they when they get to the bivouac, when they get to the Japanese camp, um, we do have a couple exceptions to that. We have the the guy who is in the prayer pose for the entire scene, just sitting there, even as the fires start around him. Um, we have the guy who whispers whatever he whispers into the American soldier's ear. Um, you know, we have a couple, the, the thing is they're all just, all of the Japanese soldiers are so emaciated, realistically, Mm -hmm. no doubt to historical truth, uh, that they're just pitiful here. Right. And even the ones who are especially pitiful, the ones who are captured, uh, they are used to show us the dehuman the way the Americans have been dehumanized, right? By further dehumanizing these men, right? Exactly, right? They're just a prop for doing more of that, right? Yeah. And like, yeah. even the ones who are like, we're getting to see that you know, you mentioned the one who's in the prayer pose and stuff like that. They're all sort of just like weird, sort of. I don't know how to explain. It. They're like weird murals on a wall or something like that. Yeah. They're just they're just paintings that like the characters can interact with, right? They don't actually have any depth. There's, there's, They're 2D, right? 
they're each going to be in like a little bit of a scene. They're not going to say anything that's intelligible to the audience or to the characters. Yeah. They're not going to. The closest we get to the Japanese in the entire movie, the Japanese characters being given humanity is when they're yelling at each other over the hill. Yes. No, and call each no. other a bunch of names for a minute. Yeah. This is the closest yo, we get to humanity because yeah. for just a moment there's interaction that is not just dom it's not just domination, right? It it's it's I don't know. It's when they walk through that camp, it's it feels like a weird sort of like almost surreal rendering of the thing, right? Because like they're just walking through the camp and there's just these emaciated bodies doing weird actions that nobody can really fully comprehend, right? Uh, yeah. While surrounded by other dead bodies and everything's on fire. Right. Which again, right. maybe realistic to our, maybe our soldier's perspective on those people, but like, is that a universal across all the soldiers? None of the soldiers see are able to comprehend yeah. the humanity and the people they're fighting? Right. And of course, you know, we get we get even a little further dehumanization post battle. They get the they get the R and R, right? They get the time away. That's the entire third act of our movie. Right. Um is uh is them being restless. They don't know what to do with themselves. They're fighting amongst themselves, right? The American soldiers right. in camp. Um and they need to just get <laughs> you know, eventually they just get drunk, right? As if that makes it better. But uh, but yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I thought Malik Malik's doing interesting things to me here, artistically, philosophically. Uh, I I also liked Days of Heaven better. I yeah, say. I mean, I just like, think Days of Heaven is a more interesting yeah. movie, like in a lot of ways. I I I mean, it's probably just like you and I have developed this a pretty severe version to war movies, like a really yeah. intense version to war movies. I don't typically watch them in my free time in any way. Um, I don't like it when they come. Like, I can admire. There's a lot of interesting artistry going on here. Yeah. It kind of feels a little. It it feels reduced in my mind when I learned that it's basically accomplished in many ways by just filming a million feet of film. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, well, yeah. if I just shoot everything all the time, yeah. there's gotta be some, I, 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 I'm, I'm being not nice right. there, but Malik, like, you know, Malik is interested in making a spiritual film. He's always interested in making a spiritual film. That's what Malik does. He makes spiritual films. Uh, <laughs> much of the spiritualness of the films he ends up with is wind through tall grass. Sure. Right. All right. Recurring theme. I'll go with it. Whatever. Uh, but, um, but Malik's loves a spiritual film, but Malik's culturally, I think, I think this is true, uh, that Malik prefers a Christian spiritual film. Right. Uh, and I think, I think in that regard, it maybe is a little telling that the, Melanesian chanting we hear that just gets labeled Melanesian chants in the bonus material dedicated to them are in Anglican community. Right. Yeah. Uh, they are not some sort of traditional Melanesian uh, uh, religious ceremony. They are. I mean, you can tell listening to them that these are Christian church songs. <laughs> yes. Yes, uh, you can. Yeah. Um, even 
even if you, you know, occasionally you get that, that syllable that says, well, that sounded a lot like Jesus. Did they just say Jesus? Uh, but yeah, I mean, stylistically, but you can just feel clearly. it. Like I, I, yeah. I skimmed through them and you right. can just feel, you yeah. can just feel it. You're like, well, this is, this is, I know what this is. Right. Right. I've and, heard something yeah, very are, akin to this before in my life. They are, they are an Anglican evangelical community. I mean, they were founded to convert, uh, uh, native Melanesians, uh, Solomon islands. Um, I mean, the, unfortunately we are pretty much forced to call that area Melanesia for the sake of this movie, but that feels really, really icky. Yeah. Uh, period. Anyway, yep. but, uh, uh, but yeah, you know, we're not, and there's, there's a shot in that village that's meant to evoke heart of darkness where they've got the, or uh, I mean, there's a lot of particularly. shots to, provo- uh, no. to uh, but yes. Yeah. Of, of the skulls on the wall. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, and it, I don't know. It's just, it's idyllic, but it's also othered in a way. Oh, it's, it's that, intense. It, it's yeah. very, well, especially when you look at who our perspective character on that right, is. Right, 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 right. It's, Wid, it who is very be. much right. got a sort of like, like, I don't. I I'm struggling like for the exact like sort of like words you would use for it, but very much yeah. that sort of like he's like so, this outsider who can see the beauty in their in like in the sort of <laughs> right, primitiveness right. here. It's it's very yeah. yeah yeah. So you know, Malik's spiritualism goes beyond Christian religious spiritualism, and I accept that. You know, we've got we've got the the shots of nature, the the cutting to. You know, the, the opening shot of this movie is the alligator, right? And then we come back around to the alligator being subjugated by the American soldiers. We get uh, shots of, of the parrots, including you know, a cutaway while people are dying to a parrot being born. This is a very interesting spiritualistic ideas to me uh, in the movie that I find really fascinating and really engaging. Uh, it is obvious that Malik did not want to make this movie by the time he was actually making this movie. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I don't. It's uh, it's fascinating because it's like wh- I don't know what he thought was going to happen. Right. Like I don't know how it's it's like a I really don't understand sort of his full sort of mental journey because it's like you yeah. there was how did you think this was not going to involve like guns and blowing things up? I don't understand what that movie you thought you were going to make was going to be. I mean, right. like I find. Malik's spiritualism less engaging, less interesting because it just doesn't fit into my worldview very much anymore. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't find much engage. I mean, I, I found like you get some right. very beautiful Wait. shots out of it. I think you get see some yeah. very beautiful things, like. And it's also true that the you've already said the only Malik film you're certain you've seen is Days of Heaven. Yeah, and, and I'm, and I'm, has, no, I'm certain it's the that, only one I've seen. Yes. Yeah. He has, he has films that are certain uh, are, are perhaps less spiritual in that vein. Uh, you know, our actors talk a lot about Badlands and don't talk a lot about Days of Heaven, right? Um, right. And Badlands is a crime drama. I've not seen it, but it's still a Malick film. Um, but, you know, eventually for the Criterion Collection, we'll watch The New World. Uh, I think we'll watch The Tree of Life. Um, and The New World is its own. <laughs> yeah. We will have a field day when we get to talk right. about and, the, and, the New World, yeah. certainly. Uh, but... But, but Days of Heaven is a very spiritual film, right? Uh, and, and, but it, Days of Heaven is a very yeah. spiritual film where where it's a person's spirituality lines with what his film is about. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, 
the right, same right, ideas. Right. I think a lot of the same ideas are conveyed yeah. here it's and there, a, but there's an obvious disconnect here. With with the exception of really one character in this movie, and and a frequently featured character, but but still too nebulously philosophical to to be direct. Um, Malik's lets the audience see the conflict between the spirituality and the action of the movie, of what is happening more than he lets the uh soldiers in the movie experience that right? well yeah and and that's that's true and then like but you know malik also seems and again i don't know it, you get those kind of like well what's malik and what's the the what the the book and some other things like that but like the movie starts off with this sort of like little bit of a like a sort of philosophical sort of investig like discussion of like the conflict inherent in nature and the idea that like it's like why is it in conflict with itself which i think is a fundamental like it's a very human perspective on nature a very like yeah you know, like the idea that that's what that is that like these things that you're seeing in nature are conflict and not just like a, a fully functional system that's working as intended you know right. or not even as intended because there is no intention like it's just a functional system right whereas like i don't know when when human beings look at nature and they do that thing where like look at how much you know yeah look at how much yeah, conflict think... is in here but it's also beautiful it's like that's all very like well i'm glad you're a human and you're doing the human thing and that's cool and there's nothing wrong with that per se but like yeah like just... you're, when you try to draw those metaphors it you, it's it's a weird one, and I don't really enjoy it. Too many, it's too easy, too. Like, it just happens yeah. all the time, like, just constantly. I think a thing that is true about this movie, it's certainly true of characters within this movie, but I don't think it's untrue about Malik himself, is that the spirituality of this movie is very much a uh, Western, raised Christian uh, interpretation of Eastern religion, right? Uh, yes. Of the yeah. relationship. That it's it's Buddhist, but it's Buddhist from a Western uh, predominantly Christian society view of Buddha, Buddhism, not one that rejects Buddhism, but one that uh, doesn't know how to engage in Buddhism on Buddhism's terms, right? Right, and uh, and does that sort of weird? It, it ends up being like, um, like Barnes and Noble's book yeah. Buddhism, right? That that sort of like, yeah, yeah. The, you yeah. that was quite popular so, in the late nineties. Let's be very clear which I, here, which I think is, uh, you know, very very accurate, uh, you know that sort of relationship to Eastern religion would lead someone to say, oh, isn't uh, this lovely Southeast Asian Pacific Islander chanting uh, that's so great. It's so it's so wonderful that they have their own religious identities. And uh, yeah, but it's just Christian Christian songs being right. sung in a different language, right? Right. Uh, I, and, I, and one of the stories that Hans Zimmer tells, which is not like, I'm not going to condemn anybody for this. I'm not. I'm yeah. not arguing this was bad, but it's goofy to me. Is like he spends a lot of time talking about how they were able to get authentic Japanese music without going yeah. to Japan, and it's it it is a very uncomfortable story. I would argue. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's very much well. We've got our authenticity here. We don't need to go to yeah. Japan because we've got our authenticity here. Zimmer. This is that we found a real Japanese yeah. person. Who doesn't look anything like whatever anything that like Hans Zimmer doesn't say this explicitly exactly this way. He kind of oftentimes seems to get close to it and then realize he's about to say something pretty racist. Yeah. About like even though he doesn't look like a real Japanese person. Right. 
right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 like a really like I was like, oh, I don't really want to be watching this anymore. But OK, I guess I'm here now. Um. Uh, yeah. I, it, I don't know. It feels like a lot of the movie has some of those elements like that felt very for me. That story felt very encapsulating about like kind of the way I ended up engaging with the movie, which is like. I it's like got good things in it, but it's also got some things that make me feel a little icky and not in the oh, yeah. like in the like maybe 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 Terrence not, Malick you shouldn't have made this movie. I'm sorry. Not, not in the way the movie wants us to feel icky. The movie wants right. us to no, feel yeah, icky. No, yeah, no. I the movie also does do that too. Soldiers, the movie right? does do the yeah. part it it does successfully make you feel icky in the way it wants you to too. Yeah. It's just also extra layers of icky that I don't think that they saw when they were making it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm glad that this movie is not just the story of the capture of the hill, right? Because right. If, if the movie had ended at at that point with that victory, it would have been much more jingoistic than, than it ends up being. Uh, but I think the extension of that, uh, even to the ending that's sort of ambiguous about the fate of uh, Adrian Brody's second group of soldiers there. And Wit, Wit we know, is is dead, uh, more or less. Uh, no is dead. Um, and well, the funny thing is, especially given the nature of the way we saw the fight go at the top of the hill, like, who knows what the fate is because they all turn into <laughs> right. Superman as soon right. as they start shooting. Right. That's fair. Um <laughs> Severely fun. outnumbered and outclassed with skill doesn't matter. You're all going to turn into super marksmen as soon as the fighting starts. Yeah, yeah. Um, Wit is very good at dodging bullets. Suddenly, for uh, for well, he's I guess Wit's always been good at dodging bullets. That's that's Wit's defining characteristic within the movie, right? Also, none uncommented on uh, the fact that he is somehow not shot so many times. Um, when when he's particularly being put into a position to be shot as punishment, right? That's like the right. entire. Uh, anyway, the motivation for him being the the uh, stretcher carrier. Um. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. I guess I just. I mean, it, I don't know no, what it, to do. I I guess I just really don't know what to do with the second half of this movie. Uh, I'm glad that it exists, right? But, uh, but I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, but if but here's movie... the thing, right? Is that like the second half of the movie is the it, it's the movie's very strange. Okay, like yeah, I don't want to watch. Like, I, if I had to choose, though, you could have almost just cut out the first half of the movie and just had it like start after they get to the set you know what i mean like you could almost just uh, like yeah. and just be I, like a bunch of like really like soldiers in a really weird spot just trying to like you know what i mean you could because we spent yeah. a full a full half of the movie just getting to the point where we actually start trying to make the points we want to make right 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 yeah yeah and and that that's that bit at the camp is absolutely meant to be for uh, in service of the points Malik is trying to make about right. about humanity and about our relationship to the world and the universe. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And it's it, it's obvious 
from I mean the book, from what Malik pulls from the book, from the way the characters are presented. You know, we are not meant to consider any of these guys uh, unnaturally uh, intelligent uh, or or philosophical. You know, these are these are men who are are being forced to think about big things because of the the nature of the world they find themselves in and are thinking about them for the first time. And the the philosophical ideas we get presented are very much that, right? Right. Uh, at least verbalized, right? Uh, and that is interesting. Um, I can... <laughs> I, I said I wasn't going to mention it, but I will. Uh, I ran across a Reddit thread oh, no. of people watching this movie, and someone said that uh, when they initially watched this movie, their favorite war movie up to that point had been Pl- Platoon, and they were expecting Platoon, uh, this to be something like Platoon. Uh, I I bring it up because someone like that, who ideally would be the sort of person Malik wants to watch his movie, Malik making a movie like The Thin Red Line, you're sort of tricking people into watching it, um, right? Uh, because the people who will watch it, knowing what it is, aren't the people who need to hear what you're saying, right? Right. Uh, but the people who are tricked into watching it aren't going to respond positively to. <laughs> And, and bear in mind, like, not to belabor the point, but even the people who want to, like, you're also just not doing that great of a job of making your point. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, fall back. Obviously, visually stunning movie. Malik's an interesting filmmaker. Don't know why Malik chose to make this film. I uh, it, it starts to feel for a little bit like maybe idea. he just needed a film that would let him go to like this area of the world and film. <laughs> yeah. Because he does maybe. seem to really enjoy shooting the scenery and, and like the wildlife in this area. I do absolutely think it is very funny that during editing, Malik, just according to the editors, Malik decided that to cut out, cut down from the five hours, one thing he would do would be to cut out all dialogue that wasn't necessary to understanding the point of the scene and the way he figured out what what qualified as that dialogue was to watch the movie with no soundtrack whatsoever while listening to Green Day. That is hilarious. Yeah, that is uh, a very hilarious. It is unfortunately also in conflict with the idea that the only version of the movie he ever watched was the five-hour yeah. cut. Right, right, which also means presumably listening to Green Day on repeat a lot because yes, Green Day had not released five hours of material up not to that point. Not even close. <laughs> So, yes, uh, maybe maybe forty five. Like, how long is this an individual Green Day record? Like, what, like, like maybe a half hour or something like yeah. that. Or maybe I don't know yeah. if it, at its max. But anyway, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, they're short punk songs. Yeah, um, I know it's probably. I was going to say a CD might be that long, but not their CD. So right, right. Yeah. So. So that's very funny, uh, very uh, interesting, and you know, to to what come back around to something you said earlier, it's very interesting that everyone, especially the editors, talk about that process with such, uh, uh, just like admiration and praise. It's yeah, really amazing yeah. for like yeah. again, what had to have just been absolute hell. Right, right. Nobody, one of the, that could not have been. None of this could have been a good experience. Yeah. Yeah, one of the one of the editors even talks about how uh, unlike normal, unlike in, in working with anyone else, 
uh, an editor for a Terrence Malick film has to be the conservative element because, uh, because Terry is so radical and he does, you know, what he means there is, is Malick is editing in a way unwilling to engage with his job in the way that is actually expected of him. Like by like majority of people. Yeah. I mean the, the, the read between the lines version of that is, uh, this is a director who, uh, was so intent on making a movie that would alienate an audience that we had to tell him, no, you can't do that. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, and I, not to, not to like, sort of like, there was one editor, the, the much older gentleman who was filmed by himself. That mm-hmm. seems from my perspective to be the only one who realized that this was all kind of bullshit. Like, <laughs> like they're all talking. Like two of them are on the same couch being interviewed. I've lost the track of the names yeah. of any of them. There's yeah. the one other guy who was brought in later. The younger guy who was brought in like later. It seems like I'm not clear why he. It, it seems he the way he talks sounds like he was brought in later. I, I sort of internalized that as an idea. Um, yeah. And then there was the older gentleman who seemed much much less glowing. Like they still right. obviously like. He's had nice things to say because you're going to say nice things about him because you're being interviewed for a featurette for his DVD or whatever, right? Yeah. But, like, nonetheless, he seemed less impressed and right. more, the like, guy... aware of that's... how much bullshit this was. I think that's the guy who essentially says we forced him to watch the five-hour version of the yes, movie. Yes, it is exactly <laughs> the same guy. Yeah. And the way yeah. he even describes that is, like, at some point I had to force this man to sit down and watch the shit <laughs> right. he made us do and, like, talk about it with us like because yeah. it seemed like to a certain extent malik was the perspective you sort of get even from the glowing reviews gives the impression that like he was totally happy to just like show him hand him a bajillion hours of footage and be like here you guys figure it right out. yeah you guys do this like this is you what you guys do right like here turn yeah. this into a movie our our coverage our coverage is that we've shot every scene at, at three different three times, times of day. yes. So just you could just make a movie with this, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, um, and like they eventually, it seems like it's that. I mean, obviously, probably they all had to work together to make this happen. But he, it sort of seems like he's the one who's like eventually like, hey, we have yeah. to, we're gonna have to hold his feet to the fire at some point and make him like right. do and, his job. Right. And at every step of the process, it was like that: editing, yeah. production, and pre-production. Jim Caviezel tells the story about how he was, you know, this is true for most of the actor's stories, about waiting for Malik to actually make decisions about casting. But Caviezel basically uh, in a position where he had five different television pilots right? Uh, and and needed to commit to something so that he could eat uh, <laughs> and was still waiting for Malik to tell him whether or not he would be in this movie, which, as Sean Penn points out, would have been such a time commitment and such a wide cast that no one was going to make any money out of this deal anyway. Right. So, so you were actually deciding just to do this for the art of working with Terrence Malick, period. Uh, and deciding deciding to work with Terrence Malick to make a movie for the art when it is a 126-speaking-role war movie is also a very interesting decision. Right, right. And one, and, uh, and, and one that some of those people had to have regretted when they were completely cut from the fucking movie. Right, right. Uh, yeah, uh, like Adrian Brody. <laughs> well, and I mean, Rourke, yeah, I mean, there, there are people who are so not in the movie that I'm not even sure they, like, technically got like you know do they are right. they still getting paid for the movie you yeah. know what i mean like i mean yeah 
and it's uh, it, yeah uh with a cast this large uh how much is anyone getting paid individually that's uh, sean penn right. seems to imply that no one would uh, no one was really getting paid even for the film but but certainly not for the waiting around for the film to start right right, right yeah uh and not being able to commit to other work not knowing when the film was going to start that's uh yeah and you know given how many of these guys were were not as rich as sean penn in 1998 certainly right 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 uh, yeah yeah, I mean, one has to wonder, like, you know, all things considered, I I feel like Terrence Malick in that, in that way sort of fits into, the, like, the person who gets movies because, like, everybody recognizes that, like, what he's making is, like, art, art. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, this is not a man, <laughs> this is not a man that is um, making movies that are, uh, you know, astonishingly good for the actors in them. Or like right, right. make so much money that they you just have to keep letting him make them. I mean, he makes money on this. They make money on this movie. Certainly. But like when you compare it to the other war movie that was made the same year, it's it looks a little bit more stark, right? Like this one makes double its money. Same probably Ryan makes almost five hundred million dollars. Yeah. You know, you you know what I mean, right? Like it's 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 very clear that you're like letting you're you're still getting Terrence Malick to make movies because you understand that what he's making is art, and people will be in it because what they understand that what he's making is art. Right. Uh, but like, also, it's not a terribly profitable venture for any of you, right? Yeah. Uh, remember though that the tables did get turned a little bit on Malick too, uh, for Che in two thousand six. Uh, we talked about this with Jay, that Soderbergh had hired Malik to write and direct uh, Che, and then it took so long to get financing for Che that that Malik had to had to leave. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, uh, and ended up making uh, the New World at that point. Um, I don't know. You know, coming back after twenty years, uh, this is an interesting thing for for an artist to produce after a 20-year absence uh and it certainly led him to a career renaissance you know he started making movies much more often uh and i think you know uh there are every with 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 possibly the major exception of the new world every movie he made since the thin red line the major complaint you can have about it is it's a terrence malick movie um it's just, it is what a Terrence Malick movie is, right. and whether or not that works for you, for something like The Tree of Life or A Hidden Life. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've never seen any yeah. like, I've never seen any of his movies really, like other than the one these two. I I think literally might be the yeah. only ones I've ever seen. Like none of these other ones are familiar to me in any way. Like it's, it's a blind spot, I guess. But like. We're going to see. We'll see going forward. I think, you know, we've got to watch um, The New World, I guess, right? But, like, I assume maybe some other stuff by him is in there, and maybe I'll change my tune on him a little bit. Uh, not the – I mean, I really do like Days of Heaven pretty much a lot, though, yeah. so I don't know. Um, So in about a little over a year and a half, we'll watch Badlands, which was his, his 1973, his first movie. Um, The New World is Spine 826. Um. Tree of Life is spying 942, uh, and that's that's it for Malik. Um, I mean, 942 is a borderline the rest of our lives, right? Right, that's right, That's another right, right. full 10 yeah. years from now. Yes. 
We will uh, have to make serious consider decisions about whether we'll still be recording this podcast when we're 48 fucking years old, man. <laughs> oh, Pat, of course we will, because we can't stop. I, I agree that stop. it's quite possible we can't stop until one of us is dead. But, like, yeah. at the same time, when you look at the landscape of your life and you think to yourself, am I going to continue doing this for 10 more years? That's, like, when you look at from here outward... That's a kind of a scary proposition to think about. Yeah. One that makes, yes. gives me weird feelings in my tummy that I don't want anymore. So maybe we should yeah. think about it. But yeah, it happens will. often enough that like I can't stop having those weird feelings. So Well, this is this is our war, Pat. You gotta <laughs> Right. And we're and hopefully we'll be equally lionized. Uh <laughs> By by people who maybe maybe like despite not deserving it, you know what I mean? Like you know maybe not yeah. maybe maybe we'll be treated the same way, and people will make movies about us that are that are definitely viewed through rose colored glasses. At least the war we're fighting is only occasionally a quagmire. So, well, I well, I counterpoint always a quagmire, <laughs> never never righteous, uh, <laughs> and also some, and. You know, but at least okay. Sometimes an enjoyable quagmire. No, uh, yeah. To, I agree. I what I'm saying is, is, and I would, in much the way these war movies work, right? There are, for at least as far as the soldiers are concerned, it seems there are high points in what is overall a quagmire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Oh man. Well, I think we can probably pull this to a close. We could talk for hours, I'm sure, but. Uh, but let's stop. Yes. Uh, we've been talking about The Thin Red Line, Terrence Malick's 1998 film. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about The Magician uh, from Bergman from 1958. Uh, been a while since we watched a Bergman. So. Yeah, I'm kind of excited. I, 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 I've been itching for some Bergman, so. Yeah. I don't uh, know anything about this movie, but, you know. And eventually, 7, 7.53, we'll watch The Thin Blue Line, Errol Morris's uh cop documentary uh from which uh yeah i don't know i i assume the thin blue line is a reference to the thin red line considering that you know the novel existed since the 60s but yeah i mean who knows knows. though i mean in the grand scheme of things who knows yeah but yeah bergman next week and this week it's been the thin red line from terrence malick and uh, just every every American male actor working in 1998. Yes. alive in 1998 is in this yeah. movie. Yeah, the you entire of all of Hollywood, basically. Yeah, um, I did joke. I know. I know. Who I mean, the other half characters. of working American actors at the time is in Saving Private. Right. 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 Uh, Between the two of them, they employed all of Hollywood. Well, all of male Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah, and. I don't want to get back into talking about this movie. Not for nothing. Thinking about thinking about all of male Hollywood being in this. Not for nothing. Uh, people like uh, George Clooney, uh, Nick Nolte to a lesser extent. Uh, but uh, 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 oh, <laughs> goodness, how did I just lose his name? Uh, Maybe Travolta? Travolta. I don't know where you were yeah. going with this. So yeah, uh, not for nothing. People like Travolta and George Clooney's characters are are shown as out of touch career hounds right yes and yeah. uh and nick nolte's character is someone who's uh sort of a a working class career and career hound trying to recognizing what he wants to be 
and trying to uh, work his way into being that. Well, uh, yeah, not, not to keep, yeah, not to continue this discussion. Yeah. One of the things I find very fascinating about him is one of the in, most interesting, one of the more interesting portrayals in the whole movie is the way he has to sort of puppy dog around behind Travolta as Travolta sort of like wanders the deck. Yes. Yes. Because it's like kind Absolutely. of his job and he has to just act like a lost little right. puppy who's just following this even more of an asshole around. Yeah. And, and I think. Yeah, I I think uh, I think it's Malik, a very good I think it's a very good performance yeah. is my point. I think Nolte's right. putting in a very good performance my, in this movie. Well, there's a lot of good acting in this movie. But. My complaint about even this aspect is uh, while while universally everyone we see in charge is like this, I think uh, I think this movie still allows us to uh, individualize that. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah. That's definitely yeah. true. If 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 this movie were actually. Uh, interested in condemning the American war apparatus in any meaningful way, I'd be more interested in it, but right. It's uh, just, it's not it, 100% again, like it's not going to engage because America can never truly engage in right. on a deep level uh, with the idea that they were involved in a fascist slap fight. They right. got a lot this, of people killed yeah. Yeah. like over who got to be can control the Pacific. Right. Right. Anyway, uh, send any letters and complaints to John Patrick Dorgan. Uh, yeah, on, that's fine. Twitter. Send me and, lots uh, of emails or messages. You yeah. can tell me that like America did a, a grand and noble thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you can tell me too, but I'm not interested in actually having that conversation. I won't. Anymore, I won't so. be either, man. I, <laughs> yeah. I. Yeah, I mean, go read a book. Yeah. I guess this will be my only go response. I get, man. I just get so tired of that every time. Every time the A-bomb comes up. Yeah, I mean, that's the worst one, obviously. Like, that's the most extreme one. Yeah. But, like, when you start adding in, like, massive firebombing campaign, it's just, like... Yeah. It's just hard, man. I don't... It's just hard. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, go think about humanity and the nature of the soul and light and darkness, I guess, if that's what you want to take away from this movie. It's a better thing to take away from this movie than anything else you could take away from this movie. Right. Uh, so have at it. Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, Liam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Ogutari Dorgan, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. This has been Lost in Criterion, hosted by me, Adam Glass. Find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My co-host is John Patrick Ovatari Dorgan. You can find him on Twitter at jpatrickdorgan. Big thanks to Jonathan Hape for our theme song. Check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com or hear more from him on any streaming service. 
Also, thanks to all our Patreon supporters, iTunes reviewers, and Redbubble customers. And hey, thank you for listening.